Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 99 of the Benzo Free Podcast. 99. Cannot believe I have recorded 99 episodes of this podcast, but it's pretty cool. Not sure what I'm doing for the 100th yet. Um, something probably will come to me if you got ideas, you know. Let me know. I try I, when I did my twenty fifth episode because I thought that was huge. <laughs> um, I went back and did a retrospect of different things, but that took me forever to put together. And also, it was kind of disjointed. I don't know that it really works. I don't think that'll be a good thing to do. But yeah, we'll figure out something. We'll figure out something. So if you have an idea, let me know what you think we should do for the hundredth. It'll be coming out the first of May or around that time. I'm still here in Colorado in my basement studio recording this, but tomorrow morning I am hitting the road and we're, my wife and I are driving back to Kansas City to close down some extra stuff and to start closing down our apartment. We had, for those of you who don't remember, we picked up an apartment short term there to help with the care of my parents and we have another month or two on that lease and so we need to close that down. Um, now that they passed, it's time to move on and get, you know, simplify my life and get back to one home to manage for a while. <laughs> Many of you know the overwhelm that we all deal with when we're dealing with benzo withdrawal, and I'm no exception. I've definitely gotten better in that regard now that I'm seven and a half years off. But it's still there, and I still have to manage that stress, that um, stress of just too much to do and that sense of overwhelm. Or, in fact, I'm just writing up... Um, God, one of the training programs that we're writing up now, the one for peer support with the action work group, um, I was writing up some sections in that. There's a whole team of us. It's really amazing core group of people that are working on this project. Um, but we're all writing up different sections, and I was writing up one on overwhelm. And it was interesting because it forces me to think about specific topics related to benzos. And so that kind of got the juices flowing and got me thinking about how do we recognize overwhelm, maybe what causes it, and what can we do to help manage it? And I thought that was interesting. So that's going into that peer support. For those of you who are not up to speed, we are creating a peer support training module that'll be part of recovery coaching um, provided by Choices and some other um, recovery programs around the country. Focused primarily in Colorado originally, because this, this is where the work group starts, and then moving nationally. So really excited about that and how that's going to go. But anyway, it did get me thinking about overwhelm and remember that I'm still dealing with it and still have some issues related to it, but, but definitely getting better. How's everybody doing today? Um, I'm hoping this podcast finds you well. I know that 
far too often is not the case. And I, God, I wish I could change that. I really do. Um, I know what y'all go through to a degree. I don't know everybody's experience, of course, but as a benzo lived experience person, trying not to say survivor because that doesn't quite fit, but <laughs> we call it lived experience now <laughs> in, the, in the literature we're working on. Everything's changing. In fact, including the feature of today's podcast, which we'll get to, but talk about changes in terminology. This is a huge one, but I, 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 you know, have to deal with that and the different things going on and I have some overwhelm and, and I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> you know me, if you've been listening to the podcast, you know, I just leave that in because it is my, again, try not to use the word benzo brain, but God, it's so easy just to throw it out there. <laughs> but I don't think quite like I used to. I have some limitations in how I process information and in my memory and cognitive functioning. So so it's a little more limited sometimes. Now I have some great times and I'm, I've healed significantly from where I'm at, but I still have some symptoms and I still have some limitations. We got a lot going on here with uh, the podcast. Um, and there's my ums. <laughs> I'll leave that in too. Why not? With the podcast right now, we're on a monthly schedule, as you know. About the around the first of each month, I try to get a new episode of the podcast out. That's for me, as you know, 2021 and early 2022 was just horrendous for me because of my parents care, um, their, their funerals and now dealing with the estate. So I'm still closing some of that down. Plus I'm working on like four or five projects just simultaneously right now for benzodiazepine action work group, but also for these research papers I'm working on, which we will talk about here in the future. But so it's just trying to balance everything out. So I'm a little, still a little slow in answering emails and I'm still, um, keeping it right now to one podcast a month, but I do hope to increase that as time goes on. It's just right now I'm doing the best I can with, with the workload. If you're curious of what else is going on around the Benzo community, um, you can always, you know, subscribe to the different newsletters. I have one, of course, at easinganxiety.com slash subscribe. Other places out there, um, BIC has a great newsletter and they tell you all the things that are going on. Alliance, um, just their latest one just came out and um, they actually mentioned Bind, which is what this episode is on, in that newsletter. So that's another good one you might want to subscribe to, to get other information that's going on around the Benzo community. Some great things happening, and I think it's really important to stay tuned and be encouraged by all the work that is going on. There are a lot of people out there working to help us, especially to help you. I'm, I'm now moving past the needing help part and now into the hopefully helping part more. But there are a lot of amazing people who don't have to stick around, you know, who have lived experience or medical professionals who get it, understands what we're dealing with and are trying to do the best they can. There's a lot of people out there like that who are working hard. So please remember that and that and that when you're focused on how there's no support that we're doing the best we can, and we're trying to make progress every step of the way. And I am happy to announce that we have a full lineup today for our episode. We start with our introduction, which you just heard. Dive right into our mailbag for a question or two. Follow up with a Benzo story from Florida. And then on to our feature, which is on BIND. What is it? What does it stand for? What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> and... And mostly, why is it important to know? 
Then we'll close out with our moment of peace, and that should cover it. So before we move on, though, to our mailbag, let me cover just a few administrative items. Don't forget, we love to hear from you. Comment on our videos on YouTube, on our podcast posts, or via our feedback form on our website, which is at easinganxiety.com slash feedback. And while you're there, perhaps you might want to subscribe to our mailing list, as I mentioned previously, or even donate to support the work we do. Trust me, every little bit helps. And remember, the Benzo Free Podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Okay, let's move on to our mailbag. We have two questions in our mailbag today. The first one is from Timo in Cyprus, California. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's T-I-M-O. I'm going to go with Timo. If I'm wrong, my apologize. Timo wrote, First off, thanks so much for the podcast. Man, it's helped. I'm about eight and a half months into a taper, and a few days ago took my last dose of clonazepam. Hopefully. Without getting into it too much, it's been absolutely gut-wrenching. The good part is, I know it gets better. But I do have one burning question. For you personally, was it more difficult during the taper or the first week after your last dose, once that benzo had been fully removed from your system? Well, thanks, Timo. Thanks for the question. That's a great one. Um... For me, and again, I always want to caveat it that uh, this is just my experience and that everybody does seem to have different experiences. Although I have seen with clonazepam or clonopin, it does seem to be a trend that people are having more difficulty after they come off the drug than during taper. Now, this may be due to too rapid of a taper. It may be due to other um, exacerbating um, conditions factors we don't really know, but it does seem to be that clonazepam has this higher propensity of protracted withdrawal. And also that we seem to deal with more after we come off. And that was my experience. I tapered down off of clonazepam for 18 months off of two milligrams and finally got down to 0.25 milligrams. Now I did do a direct taper, which of course means that I didn't substitute volume for it. I also didn't really know about micro tapering at the time. I knew about liquid titration, but I didn't try it. Anyway, so I jumped off of a quarter milligram of clonazepam, which is about five milligrams of volume. It's a pretty big jump at the end. So it's something to pay attention to when you're thinking of it. Now, for me, it does seem that my symptoms did definitely increase. My hardest time of withdrawal was my first six months to a year, and then maybe even the first year or two was my most severe. Now, I had extenuating circumstances, as I'd like to mention, so there are other factors that might have made mine severe, but yeah, I had a diff more difficult time after um, I was off benzos than during the taper. Now, I do know people that have had the opposite and have had a harder time in taper, and when they came off of it, it was easier. Ashton actually even mentions that in her manual. It is individual, so please don't use me as an example. But as I mentioned, with clonazepam, it does appear that people have more difficulty after they're off their drug than they do while they're tapering. 
potency might be a factor. Xanax might have similar. I haven't really seen it, but Xanax might have similar consequences since it is also um, equal potency to clonazepam. But these more potent drugs might might cause them more of a problem, especially if you're taping off them directly. So anyway, I, I, I hate saying that because I don't want people in the middle of a bad taper to think, oh my God, it's about to get worse when I go free of the drug because that's not necessarily the case. Everybody is different. And I think it also depends on how long you take. In my opinion, and I'm not a physician or medical professional, as you know, so nothing here is medical advice. But in my opinion, we start healing as soon as we start to diminish our dosage of a benzodiazepine. We start healing because as you start to lower that, the body now has to, via homeostasis and other, other um, processes, has to start to adjust. And so it's starting to adjust as you're tapering. Now, that's my belief system. There's no science necessarily backing that. No research has been done on this. But in my opinion and what I've seen, as you're starting to taper, you are starting to heal. That's one of the reasons why I do, you know, why slow tapering, in my opinion, is is a very good way of doing it. And this is, this is not me giving advice, um, of course, for how to taper. But this is backed by Ashton. Um, it's in most of the literature that a slow taper is a better method. And so I do believe we start healing as we start to taper because we're reducing that drug and our body is having to start to adjust. Unfortunately, that can be a very long process for some of us and for myself um, included. Thanks, Timo. Great question. I really appreciate it. Let's, let's move on to our second question, which this one is from Susan in Manchester. Susan writes, thank you so much for the podcast, which I discovered just yesterday. I have throughout the last eight years been prescribed clonopin, Ambien, and Trazodone due to the loss of my best friend, accompanied by extreme anxiety and insomnia. This summer, I successfully weaned off of both Ambien and the Trazodone and have started titrating off clonopin. The prescribing doctor has not been helpful at all with this process and actually told me I could stop trazodone cold turkey, which I didn't do. I have noticed a very scary incident of pins and needles and muscle twitches in my legs, which wake me at night. I have fears of other life-shortening nerve diseases, but am hopeful after listening to a few of your podcasts that as I heal from the use of these drugs, the muscle issues will subside. I am also seeing my primary in the next week. It just seems that most doctors do not have the full information regarding these drugs and their long-term effects. Thank you for any feedback you can offer, Susan. Well, thank you, Susan. Um, yeah, so sorry for what you're going for going through, and the same for Timo earlier. Um, yeah, I wish I wish again I could just make this go away, but it doesn't work that way. This, um, what you're describing is very, is very common, actually. The, the, the pins and needles, the muscle twitches, yes, are very common symptoms of benzo withdrawal or bind, as we'll get into, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But these are very common um, symptoms. And yes, they are a sign. Because one of the things we've got to pay attention to is remembering that these drugs affect our nervous system, our nerves. And when they're removed, our nerves are left raw, they're left unable to process the excitatory um, stimulus from glutamate and the other neurotransmitters. And our nervous system is just trying to heal. 
That's the way I like to look at it. It's just trying to heal. And it's a, having a hell of a time because it's it's been on these drugs for a while. And it's going to take a while for it to reset and get back to normal. But yes, these are common. Yes, they almost always subside. I have not seen an example of these lasting for extremely long times. Um, I still have some formication, you know, spiders on my face occasionally, but most of it has eased, and that's similar to the pins and needles. Yes, um, this is common, and please just hang on and do the best you can to work around it, to work with it, to reduce your stress, reduce your anxiety, um, because that does increase anxiety, does increase the um, the magnitude of our symptoms. So by finding ways of decreasing our anxiety, decreasing our worry, decreasing our stress, we can reduce the severity of our symptoms. Thanks, Susan. I really appreciate that. And thanks for, um, and, and Timo, and for all you both are going through and for writing in to us. If you're interested in sending questions or comments to us, please do so at easinganxiety.com slash feedback on our feedback form or um, comments on our website and posts or YouTube channel. I think that should close out the mailbag. Let's move on to the Benzo story. Today's Benzo story is from John in Hernando, Florida. I, I do want to mention here, like I often do, but like most Benzo stories we share, John's symptoms can be a trigger to some of our listeners. And if you want to skip this story, please do so. There is a chapter list in our show notes, so you can easily go to the section you'd like to after this one. So that's, that's, that's my caveat right there. I just want to put out there because I don't want to be triggering your symptoms. I just want to be sharing people's stories because I believe that is essential to what we do. John's story comes to us in three parts, so let's get right to it. John first sent the following via our website feedback form. In March of 2020, I experienced what was diagnosed as a panic attack. I was 64 at the time and never experienced something like this before. My doctor prescribed Xanax to be taken as needed. I started off taking 0.5 milligram pill per day, eventually building up to two pills a day. Additionally, I was prescribed several other antidepressants in an attempt to replace the Xanax. This went on for several months without any luck. Not until after discovering my depression was a result of testosterone being depleted did I finally have an answer to what was going on. I am currently on a testosterone replacement therapy, which has helped greatly with my mood. Unfortunately, this was after being on antidepressants for about seven months. As of this writing, I have been off these drugs for one month. The benzoyl belly continues off and on with various intensity. I have found that most doctors really have no understanding of how debilitating withdrawal can be and don't even recognize benzoyl belly as a symptom. Thank you for the information you provided. It has made my withdrawal a bit more tolerable, knowing what's going on and that there will be an end to this. So I wrote back to John in response to his email, and we started to correspond. And he gave me a couple updates along the way, and I'd like to share those two here. Here is his first update. I recently had an appointment with my doctor. I discussed with him about the benzo belly and the low T treatments results. 
Oddly enough, he knew nothing of benzobelly and seemed skeptical of the results of the testosterone treatment. As the appointment ended, he looked at me and said, Do you want another prescription for Xanax in case you need it? I was stunned at this question. Of course, I said, absolutely not. Unbelievable. Thank you for your podcast. Had I not watched that, I would have never known. And then about a month later, John followed up with this second update. Last week was six weeks from my last Xanax. Progress is being made with the benzo belly. My symptoms are easing somewhat. The stomach pain, gas, and diarrhea have become less frequent, thank God. And I am hopeful that I can get back to normal soon. Thank you again for all your help. Oh, thank you, John. Thanks for sharing your story and update with us um, on the podcast today. You know, you shared a few things we've heard many times, and I, I wanted, and a few others that maybe we haven't talked about before, and I wanted to hit on a couple of those before we move on. You mentioned the panic attack, and that is so common. I, I never had a panic attack either in my life until my withdrawal. Actually, until, that's not correct, until I learned about the possibility of benzodependence and withdrawal and what that was. That night that I looked that up, I had my first panic attack and I had a few more during my withdrawal. And it, it is frightening, terrifying, to say the least. On the testosterone replacement therapy, I think that's very interesting. I'd like to know more about that. I don't know much on that side. We do know that benzodiazepines, one of the common symptoms, in fact, one of the classifications of symptoms is endocrine which of course is the hormonal system in the bodies, both estrogen, testosterone, and other hormones are affected. Um, and the, the glands and everything else that are involved in that are affected by benzodiazepine withdrawal. So the fact that testosterone may have been depleted, it could be an effect of these drugs, or it could have been something else that you already had and you needed to um, take replacement therapy to help. I'm so glad that you found that. But it is possible that therapy could also complicate benzo withdrawal. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional, so I have no idea. But if it's working for you and your doctor believes in it, I think, you know, that's the right thing to do for you for now. But the fact that you're starting to feel better and starting to get past this sounds like you're on the right track. You mentioned benzo belly continuing off and on with various intensity. And that is still one of the most common, um, not just symptoms, because benzo belly is actually a group of symptoms, as we all know, that includes Stomach distress, um, acid reflux, um, heartburn, diarrhea, constipation, and then everything else in the abdomen. So pelvic floor dysfunction, in my opinion, is part of that. I've added that to that category. And um, anything else happening down in that area, <laughs> in the abdominal cavity. But anything gastric or abdominal, we try to put into kind of that benzobility. Abdominal distension is another big one. People who have the distension going on. So, and inflammation, you know, I can go on and on. But it is so common, and I'm so glad that that's starting to ease for you, too. You mentioned about the doctors, God, and, and when, you, when you said, the doctor said, do you want another prescription for Xanax? Yes, I cringed. I had trouble reading that straight because it's, I, I've heard it so much, and I'm so sorry this is still happening. We need help. We need people to help us try to change this, and we're making progress, but it's a long uphill battle. 
but I'm so glad your symptoms are easing. I'm so glad that you're starting to see the light and starting to see that you might get back to normal soon. I think that's amazing, and I'm so happy for you. Please keep in touch with us, John, and I really appreciate you sharing your story today on the podcast. We are starting to get a little low on stories in the queue. Um, so if you're interested in sharing your story on the Benzo Free Podcast, now is a good time. You can submit it on our feedback form at easinganxiety.com feedback. And I look forward to hearing from you. And now on to our feature. Our feature today is an interesting one. It's totally different than something we've covered before. I'm losing my voice. There we go. Let me clear my throat and get my voice back a little bit. I had just taken a drink of water on pause there. And when I came back, um, my voice was gone. And if you heard the squeak of my chair here, sometimes that comes through too, because I'm sitting in my office chair, not my stool. My stool doesn't creak, um, but it's upstairs and I'm just too dang lazy to go get it right now. And so I'm in my office chair where I try to stay seated, you know, and still, but every now and then I move and shift. And of course it squeaks on me. So if you hear that, that's what that is. Our feature today is on bind and that is B I N D. What does it mean? Where did it come from? Why should we use it? And what the hell am I talking about? So today I'm going to introduce you to bind give you some history, some perspective, where it came from, and give you a, a, a vague definition, although we don't have official one yet, but some vague definitions for it, and also how it differs from other terms we have used. So please stay tuned. I think this is going to be very educational. I hope it is to you. And it also helps catch you up with some of the work I've been doing outside of the podcast, and I wanted to share that with you. So let's dive in. BIND stands for Benzodiazepine-Induced Neurological Dysfunction. One more time. Benzodiazepine-Induced Neurological Dysfunction, B-I-N-D. Get it? That's where it comes from. And it's a new name for what we are going through. Okay, we done? <laughs> I could just say that and say, let's go use it, but I think you're going to not believe me or not... <laughs> Or not follow what's going on unless I give you a lot more background. So let me let me try to try to go there and figure out. I'm, I'm going to have fun with this a little bit because this is positive stuff. I mean, this is progress we're making, and I like sharing this, and I love to come out with some really positive stuff on this podcast. And I think this is one of those. It's progress that we've been working on for a long time, and I am so glad that things are starting to uh, we're starting to reap some of the rewards of the work that's being done. Anyway. Most of you out there I know have dealt with or are dealing with um, the complications of benzodiazepine dependence. And we've used terms for this condition. Throughout my book, I used benzodiazepine withdrawal syndrome or BWS. But a lot of people have used other things. Some have just said benzo withdrawal. Some say protracted withdrawal or protracted withdrawal syndrome as Ashton identified or benzodiazepine use disorder or benzo brain injury or even neurotoxicity or benzo neurotoxicity or or even addiction and dependence there have been tons of terms passed around related to this and there's a lot of confusion that goes along with this what do we call this and are these terms specific to part of what we're going through or to the whole thing 
it's confusing. I'm confused and I deal with this every day and work with teams on it every day. So, so I know this has got to be confusing to everybody else, especially those of you suffering from it who may not have the memory skills or the cognitive skills right now to understand this stuff. So maybe today I can help clarify some of this. And that's my goal. So we came up with this term called bind. And I say we because I've been involved in this process and I am so blessed to think that I am part of this process. That just blows my mind. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, well, we don't have a medical description of bind yet because the paper that will define bind is still in process. We're still working on it. One of the things is Bernie Silvernail, who heads up the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, is the founder there. He um, is behind a lot of this work we're doing and has done amazing stuff. I'll talk about that in a second. But it wasn't until recently that I felt comfortable sharing this because some of these things aren't published yet. But he started publishing it and talking about it through the Alliance. And so now, and it's made it clear that it's okay for us to start talking about it. Start talking about this work we've been working on for the last two or three years. So that, that's kind of cool to be able to do. But anyway, we do have a few working definitions and we're trying to, um, to figure that out in the papers, but these papers aren't published, so I can't really refer to them, nor should I probably share the specifics from those papers yet, just the generalities. So at this point, we don't have an official description on bind, but that will be coming. Also, I just need to let you know that when I talk about the history here and some of the details, this is entirely from my point of view and my perspective and my involvement, okay? Since that's the only version of this story I know. And others' recollections may differ, so please keep that in mind as, as you hear what I'm, what I'm sharing with you. So let's step back a bit and hear a little bit of history. And this, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, hopefully this won't bore you. I think it's exciting, and I hope you feel the same way. In mid-2019, I was pulled into a research project related to benzos. It was a benzodiazepine survey that took place in 2018. Some of you may have taken that survey. This survey was developed by Jay McCubrey, PhD, and Christy Huff, MD. Both of these individuals were friends of mine at the time and still are, and were involved in the very beginnings of the Benzodiazepine Action Work Group here in Colorado, which I co-chair with Dr. Alexis Ritvo, and at the time was called BenzoWise Colorado. It was one of the very first incarnations of this group as we started to develop it. Now, Jane is not active in the benzo community at this time. She's focused on other things right now. But many of you might know Christy's name since she is a director of Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, or BIC. Anyway, these two conducted this large survey of benzodiazepine patients, and the results now needed to be analyzed. Their medical statistician was no longer able to work on the project since he was also dealing with complications related to benzodiazepine use or bind, which I'm going to start using more commonly here. And so Jane reached out to me. Now, my previous career was as a database developer and data scientist. I no longer can work in that area because of some cognitive dysfunction and also the pressure when I get anxious, when I get pressured in an IT environment, I shut down and I have a lot of trouble functioning mentally. I have some trouble functioning mentally. I don't want to say a lot. I have some trouble functioning mentally. But this was great because this is something that I could use those skills on a much lower pressure basis and help out. 
So although my experience was in the corporate world and not in research, I did have the analysis and statistical skills to step in. Eventually, after doing some of the data work with Jane and Christian, we started bringing on other members of this team. The research team decided to include me as an author based on my experience with benzo advocacy, the knowledge I learned from writing the book and other work I'd been doing. And that was pretty damn cool to me. I never thought in a million years that I would be a research author listed in a medical journal. You know, we've talked a few times about the changes benzos can cause in our lives and how there is good in that too. We always focus on the bad, but we so rarely look for and see the good. Well, this is a perfect example of that. And trust me, I have many more examples of that. Like this privilege to work with you all each and every day. But there is good that comes out of every change in our lives. And identifying those and making the best use of those, I think, is essential into recovering and getting past this process or getting through this process. Well, anyway, I'm going to jump ahead a couple of years now because you don't need to hear all that, all the work that happened over that time. A lot of work, but we made some progress. So jumping ahead a couple of years, the saving grace now was the involvement of Bernie Silvernail and the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. Bernie not only took over lead for the development of these research papers based off the survey, which evolved all that work that was done and, and the data analysis that I had done, but the Alliance also funded this work and could bring in a paid writer and some other resources to help us develop these papers. None of this would have ever happened without the support of the Alliance. So Bernie and my old friend who's now retired, Dr. Stephen Wright, got involved and things started to speed up. Bernie built a team, which included two highly respected psychiatrists from Vanderbilt University, who have seen the damage done by benzodiazepines firsthand. Anyway, fast forward to today. The first of several papers from the Benzo survey has passed peer review and should be published any day. I'll send out a link to it via our mailing list when it's available. And we are currently working on the second paper and plenty more to come. But I know your question, what does all this have to do with BIND? <laughs> I'm glad you brought me back to that. Thank you. Well, Bernie and the Alliance have several projects in the works at any time. And most of these I know nothing about. I sometimes read their newsletter or in another meeting that I'm in with Bernie, he'll mention three other things that they're working on. It's amazing the stuff they're doing. It's amazing the stuff Bix doing. I don't know 10% of the work that these organizations are accomplishing. I just can't say enough about these two organizations that I get to work with. I'm just happy to be involved. As I said, and I might say that several times, but it's true, and that's why I'm saying it. <laughs> well, the work we were doing on the survey on benzodiazepine protracted symptoms and that kind of thing bled over into some of the other work the Alliance was doing. And eventually, we all decided that there is too much confusion regarding the naming of this condition. And we decided to do a separate paper, which is called a nosology paper, no, I had no idea what a nosology paper was before I got involved, but I do now, which could help define this condition. 
Our team from the survey, along with dozens of other medical professionals, all got involved. It was this huge group of people, including my fellow co-chair at the Benzodiazepine Action Workgroup, Dr. Alexis Ridfo, who's the assistant professor of psychiatry at CU Medical School, University of Colorado Medical School. And we all went through this complex Delphi process in several steps on defining the term and finally came to agreement. And we are now finalizing the text of that paper. Now, I'm just a contributor on the nosology paper and probably won't be listed as an author there since I don't have medical background. And they also limit the number of authors you can list on a nosology paper. But I don't care. I'm on the team and I'm just excited to have a say in this process and be part of it and and to speak for you all, to speak for the people I've been working with. When I'm talking in these groups, you all are talking. And I'm about to get a tear right now. I'm sorry, but this is, this is, this is. All this stuff, all this information I'm sharing. Yes, I got a little bit of it from my own experiences with benzos. But 90% of the things I share, of the information I share, comes from the podcast, comes from our email correspondence, comes from working with each of you day in, day out, corresponding. I learned so much from each of you. And I promise you I'm doing the best I can to take that information and turn it into these projects that hopefully will have a beneficial impact on your life and even more so on the lives of those who may follow. So sorry. Ooh, that wasn't, that was me going off a tangent for a second, but it just kind of hit me as I said that. Back to the nosology research and the paper. Now, this is by far not the first uh, research paper to name this condition. There are other papers which have been published in the past, even a few recently, which also attempt to name this condition. So this term is not necessarily the de facto standard um, on, on, on this condition. Bind is not necessarily the de facto standard. It's not how that works. It's kind of weird. I don't fully understand it. Again, I'm not the medical guy. I'm the guy coming in doing some of the data work and then providing the experience that I picked up from you all. But in my opinion, I believe this word, this definition, this name will stick. And this is why. Not because I'm part of the team and I had to say that because, yeah, I believe in this. I believe in the work we've done. I believe in all the effort that went into this, which is cool that I'm on this team. Anyway, I just wanted to say that one more time. <laughs> but because I truly believe it's the most accurate um, and effective term for what we've gone through. Also, this paper has something else backing it that I think a lot of the other ones don't. This paper will have the involvement of three of the most active benzo organizations at this time. Bernie, Dr. Stephen Wright, Dr. Alexis Ridfo at the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices are sponsoring this paper, and Bernie's the one driving it and getting it done. Dr. Christy Huff and others at Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, BIC, are also involved and actively part of this process. And Dr. Alexis Ridfo and myself, who are the co-chairs of Benzodiazepine Action Workgroup, we are also actively involved in this process. And those are three, in my opinion, of the more active organizations working towards making changes in the benzo community today. And they're all behind this paper or involved in this paper, I should probably say is better term. So 
it has a lot of weight behind it. And I think that's a great thing. Something else to mention is that the actual nosology paper is usually very short. Again, something I'm just now learning. <laughs> so much of the extended definition of this condition is clarified in a series of other papers, not so much in this one. This one will define it, but actually in the papers we published and are publishing for the Benzo survey, we are further defining BIND and explaining it in more detail. So they're kind of feeding off each other and working together. Okay, um, are you still with me? <laughs> if you aren't, I don't blame you. But now let's get back to the to bind itself. That's a long story, one I've been waiting to tell a couple of years because we've been working on this thing for a long time. My God, I've been working with this survey research team for three years now. And we finally are getting a paper published any day now, the first one. And I got many more coming and that's pretty cool. So back to bind. Let me first differentiate a bit between bind and withdrawal. And this is one of the things that one of our papers um, mentions and actually gets into the detail of. To understand what bind is, we first need to understand withdrawal or acute withdrawal. It's, it's important to note that we are not eliminating the use of the term withdrawal from discussion, as some have suggested. We're trying to be accurate medically. So instead, we are limiting its definition. Instead of withdrawal, meaning the entire long-term process, you know, protracted, acute, interdose, all these things, we're trying to clarify what withdrawal really stands for, medically speaking, and it makes a lot more sense. So here, here's what withdrawal is, and this is effective with other drugs and benzos alike. Withdrawal or acute withdrawal defines the period of time the drugs are eliminated from the body after use, approximately about 10 days or up to 28 days for long-acting benzodiazepines. That's the withdrawal period or acute withdrawal. Symptoms for benzodiazepines during this time are often more commonly those of seizures, hallucinations, and tremors, some of the more severe initial ones. But thankfully, these are usually short-lived, and those will be defining more as withdrawal symptoms, more so than bind, although they can carry on. Now, for what most of us are dealing with, we're talking more often about the protracted symptomatology. Those symptoms that last months or years and include things like anxiety, fear, cognitive dysfunction, benzobelium, echocesia, tinnitus, muscle tics and tremors and tears and pulls and burning skin and needles and pins and on and on. That is bind. Now, bind can occur during use of a benzodiazepine especially during taper when you're reducing the dosage, but even during interdose, between doses. Those symptoms can be withdrawal, but they can also be bind, and this can be confusing, and I understand that. Usually what defines these better is the changes in the human body. Withdrawal is more focused on the elimination of the drug from the body, and that's why it can last 10 to 28 days you're still eliminating that drug from your body, and so there's still effects, and that's part of withdrawal. Bind is related to the neuroplastic or neurotoxic changes in the body whose effects can last much longer than withdrawal, months and years. 
Now, I'm not going to say more here. Um, once the papers start being published, we will talk about this more in detail so that we understand it better. I am just trying to provide an introduction here today. For now, remember that withdrawal is short-lived, often intense, and rarely lasts longer than 28 days after your last dose. Bind can take months, even years. It can happen during taper, between doses, but most frequently after your last dose and can last for months or years at that point. And it is related to changes, actual physiological changes in our central and peripheral nervous systems. Now, terminology is important in all of this. And I just finished training on substance use disorder recovery coaching and learned a lot in that class, so much. That was actually to help train us so that we can develop the benzodiazepine module. But and in there, there's a lot of terminology you try to avoid because it can be triggering, it can be stigmatizing, and it's the same in the benzodiazepine community. So we do try to avoid terms like addiction because, not just because it's stigmatizing, but also because it's not appropriate for our audience. Most of the people we work with here are people who have taken the drug as prescribed and are dealing with long-term consequences of that. Here at the podcast, we're going to start using the term bind immediately today in this podcast. We will still use withdrawal when it's appropriate because it is still appropriate for some things, but we will reduce our use of withdrawal and limit it to those appropriate times and places. Now, much of our literature, old podcast videos, and especially my book has withdrawal throughout it. And I can't go back and rewrite that right now. But it still has, in essence, the right lessons and everything. I think we just need to, to go move forward. Maybe one day I'll rewrite that. Maybe one day I'll, read, I'll write another one if I ever get free time. But, but just so you know, our old literature, a lot of stuff at our website still is going to use a lot of terminology that maybe is no longer appropriate. I will try to update things, like especially on web pages and stuff like that going forward when I can. But I'm not going to go back and rechange all our old posts. They were appropriate for those times. And I can't really go back and re-record all the old podcasts. But going forward, I'm going to try to use bind more often. I'm still sure the old terminology is going to sneak in now and then. And this transition's going to take time. So please be patient. Medical professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, and all that thing have been taught to look for the wrong thing. Doctors have been taught that the complications related with benzodiazepine use are that of withdrawal. And that's it. So that the only symptoms to look for are the typical withdrawal symptoms like seizures, hallucinations, tremors, etc. And that they only last for a few weeks. They've never been taught to look for the other symptoms of bind or by whatever other term it was called at that time, or that those symptoms can last months, even years. This is an uphill battle. I am not naive and think suddenly everything is fixed. But boy, are we making some progress. Last fall's FDA announcement of the boxed warning on benzodiazepines for long-term use was huge. And it was a great step. And it shows that we are making difference. And the Alliance and other organizations were behind that and were a big part of that. And this is some of the work that these groups are doing. 
So if you're out there and you're feeling isolated, if you're out there and you're feeling that nobody cares, if you're out there and feeling that they just don't understand, I just want to say we do. I've been there. I'm still there. I know it. I understand it. And I work with you all every day talking back and forth. And I know what you're going through, and it breaks my heart. It really does. But there's good news out there. We're making a difference, and we're making changes. And that brings me to the closing. And there's one last thing. One last thing I want to mention here. This is going to carry on for a while. Um, but I think we're winding things down. Hopefully I'll squeeze it all into about an hour. But... All this happened, all this activity, this curriculum, this benzodiazepine peer support training module we're working on, um, documentation, websites, um, the FDA announcement. Um, I mean, just all these things I don't even know about are happening because people got involved and decided to do something. It all happened with a lot of work, a lot of volunteer work, too. I still make almost nothing from the work I've done. I get a little bit from donations, and thank you so much for helping out. But that covers mostly my expenses with the podcast. It covers part of my expenses with the podcast. But all this other work with the committee, this is a volunteer organization. We are making a little bit of money from a grant. Um, we're getting paid for our time a little bit, the team of us who are working on the curriculum development, because we fought to get a grant, a federal grant, to help pay for it. But the pay is very few and far between. Most of the work we do is volunteer. And these people out there who are doing all this work and spending all their time on a volunteer basis trying to change things, trying to make life better for you, is pretty amazing. So when you're feeling lonely or you're feeling like nobody cares, just remember there's a lot of us out there who are still working, not just me. And I know I'm tooting, I'm tooting my own horn or whatever the term is. Is it tooting, touting, tooting? I don't know. <laughs> Blowing my own horn. Maybe that's what it is. And I, I will admit, I am proud of what we accomplished. So there probably is a little bit of pride in this. I can't help it. I am proud of what we've done. But I just got to say, most of this has been done by other people, not by me. I am just grateful to be part of the process, just to be included. And these people I get to work with, I constantly say how amazing they are, but they are. I work with some of the best people in the world in the Benzo community, and I am so proud to be part of working. I'm not just saying that because I should. I'm not saying that because I'm just a nice guy. They really are amazing, and I am stunned every day that I get to be part of these teams. But we need more help. We need help. The more people, the more changes we can make, the more we can get done. It takes time, and it takes effort. You can reach out directly to groups like the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices, and they're at benzoreform.org, or Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, BIC, and they're at benzoinfo.com. Yes, I know these off the top of my head. <laughs> or BOG, our, our, our work group, which is part of the Colorado Consortium for Prescription Drug Abuse Prevention. Um, or Easing Anxiety, my group here, and the podcast, we all welcome help and volunteers and people who seriously want to get involved and make a difference. 
Some of you have reached out to me and I'm already reaching back and trying to get you more involved. We're, we've got a lot of changes coming for easing anxiety and the podcast, all good stuff. And it takes people to help build that. But that's just part of it. I recommend getting involved, involved, not involved, involved if you can, because not because necessarily it's helping others, which it is, but because it helps you. Doing this saved me. It kept me busy. It gave me the satisfaction of helping others, which feeds me. <laughs> and it led me to a new life after Bind. Not the old life, but a much better life, a different life. Sure, I have some limitations on my life and I have some symptoms. But I am happier now than I've ever been before. I have meaning in my life. I have joy and I love what I do. Anybody can do that. If you're interested, let us know. Well, I better close this out. I hope that was informative. Um, this is huge progress in my opinion, and I really wanted to share it with you today. Uh, let's jump on to our disclaimer for about 25 seconds, and then we'll get over to our moment of peace. Thanks. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benzofree podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. Please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Today we're going to return to one of my favorite mantras, which is, let go, let God. Now, if you're not of the religious sort, no worries. Substitute with something else, like, this too shall pass. Any mantra that helps you focus on the temporary nature of the difficulties in your life can be beneficial here. If you decide to use let go, let God, just say let go to yourself in your head as you breathe in and let God as you breathe out. Like all good mantras, this one is simple and effective. The main goal here is to relax. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. 
one more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second. And let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slow and natural. And focus on your mantra, let go, let God, or this too shall pass, or whatever mantra you choose. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your breathing. No judgment at all. Continue to do this for one minute. Our next scheduled episode is episode 100. That is hard to believe. It is scheduled for release early May. Thank you again for joining me today, and please, let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.